Praise the Lord. I want to talk about fences today, and uh, we all know what fences are for. Fences are to keep unwanted things out and desired things in. You have heard it said, good fences make good neighbors. And that may be true if undesirables are living next door. But it will be false if it keeps you from making a good connection with your neighbor in a godly way. Amen. I also believe that the only thing that keeps society from chaos is a thin line of morality that men and women voluntarily agree to subscribe to. I call that the thin line, that thin line, the invisible fence. In the previous century, we have seen society after society where for a season chaos has reigned and there has been no limits to man's immorality. We saw it in Hitler's Germany, Stalin's Russian, Russia, Idi Amin's uh, Zaire, Pol Pot's Cambodia, and the list goes on and on. There's nothing that really forces us to act as decent human beings. Nothing other than the constant in our conscience that is speaking to us about moral limits. Amen. Even those that don't know God, still inside of them there was put something called morals that should hold them back from doing the things that are wrong. And then sometimes God has to intervene in the affairs of men to get them back on the right track. The same is true with Christianity. God never forces us to obey Him. But I'll tell you what, He does erect invisible fence for our protection and teach us to stay within certain prescribed boundaries really for our own safety. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're on the market and you can buy them. They're called invisible fence. Listen to one of their advertisements. They said, for over 30 years, invisible fence has been keeping dogs safe at home. We pioneered the concept of electronic pet containment and developed our renowned safe dog training protocol. We are proud to be the industry's leader with the most experienced local dealer network nationwide. Your dog can run, jump, and play, free to be a dog, and you can rest easy knowing your family is safe as well as your dog. That is total peace of mind. That is invisible fence solution. <laughs> In the past, you may have passed a yard with this sign, and they'll have it right on their invisible fence. I've seen the, even seen the, the, the trucks go by that are going to install one. But uh, it'll say invisible, dog, invisible fence, dog in training. Invisible fence is a highly effective method for keeping your dog in your yard simply with the use of sound waves. This is how it works. When the dog gets near the boundaries of your yard, an alarm goes off that is inaudible to the human ear, but it pierces the dog's ear. The sound does not physically prevent the dog from crossing the boundary. Only his character and training can do that. So this is the same principle that I want to talk about today that our human conscience is built upon. When we come up against the border of right and wrong, an alarm should go off deep inside our human spirit. It's called our conscience. However, it's only effective as a deterrent if our character allows it to keep us from doing wrong. In other words, it can sound, but if we do not pay attention to it, then we will just barge right through that fence that is set there for us. I believe that invisible fence could be called your moral character. You show true character and integrity when God's Word can keep you within His prescribed boundaries simply by speaking to your conscience. How does He speak to your conscience? He does it through His Spirit and His Word. 
And so his spirit and his word should be the only force or the only fence that is needed to restrain you from doing wrong and doing what's right. Are you with me? You see, integrity and character is what you have and what you are when you think nobody else knows that can see what you're doing. However, sometimes we're like the dog sitting in the yard and along comes another dog which has, the, has no sense of right and wrong and no moral boundaries and they want us to come out and play with them disregarding the invisible fence. And what do we do on those circumstances or those occasions? Well, righteous dogs stop at the invisible fence because of their training and their sound reinforcements. But likewise, we should learn to stop at God's invisible fence because of his sound reinforcements. What is his sound reinforcement? It is the ping of our conscience. The ping, you know, give me a ping, ping, of our conscience and our moral character that has been built on the word of God. We have to be sensitive to obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us through our conscience. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So there are invisible fences in our life that we should cross and there are invisible fences we should not cross. So first I'm going to talk about the invisible fences we should cross and then I'll tell you about some we should not cross. First of all, let's establish the fact the devil is a liar. <laughs> I hate the devil. In fact, he is the father of all liars. He will try to impersonate God by building his invisible fence around us that is not even there. But by deception, he will try to get us to believe that his fence is there instead of God's. In Ezra, we are told that the Jewish temple had laid in ruins for over 70 years. And then in providence of God, the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. As they began rebuilding, there was great opposition that arose against them by a mixed race of people living in the land, a bunch of bad dogs. And fear and intimidation caused them to stop rebuilding the temple. No mention is ever made of them praying or asking God about their problem, they just stopped building. Satan's the great intimidator. He uses lies and threats and innuendos as tools to stop us from accomplishing the good works that God has given us to do. Yet the Bible clearly teaches that we overcome him, doesn't it? It says we overcome him, not vice versa. He doesn't overcome us. We overcome him by the power of the word of God and the spirit that lives inside of us. And yet it took them 15 years after the work was stopped for another group of Jews to come and step up to the cause. And this next group was not overcome by intimidation or fear. So they finished the work the first group said was impossible to do. So it's just another case where Satan had erected an invisible fence. And he had persuaded the Jews that they couldn't pass through it. But this new group fought back and they found the devil's invisible fence was not all it was cracked up to be. And we as the people of God, we need to cross with courage every invisible fence the devil tries to set up against us to stop our progress with God. Has the devil got you fenced in this morning? Do you feel hindered in your holy walk with God? Do you find it hard to pray and study your Bible? 
I'm going to give you a scripture this morning that I'm sure you already know, but maybe you forgot it. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and I have overcome them. Overcome what? Overcome the invisible fences. Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. That's in the Bible. So we overcome him. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we break out of our bondage and addictions. Amen. You see, an experiment was carried out at a zoo. Five apes were in a cage in which a banana was hung from a string. When an ape tried to get the banana, he was soaked with a water cannon, and the other four were also soaked. This was repeated until the five apes learned, leave the banana alone, or you'll get soaked. One ape was taken out and changed and brought a new one in. The new ape, he tried to eat the banana, and he was attacked by the other four who, for no apparent reason. He didn't understand, why are you attacking me? They attacked him because they didn't want to be hosed down by the water cannon. A second ape was taken away, and a new one was added, and when the new one tried to eat the banana, the three original apes that knew why not to eat the banana, even though they were no longer soaked, simply because they had become conditioned, attacked the ape. The other apes didn't know, the two apes didn't know what was going on, but the three apes, they knew you get soaked if you eat the banana. Three attacked for fear of the water cannon. One attacked because he had been trained by the fellow apes that if anyone tries to eat that banana, we're all going to get beat up. This process of removing the original apes continued until all the original apes were gone. And if a new one comes and tries to eat the banana, he's attacked, and no one knows why, except that everybody knows you can't eat the banana because if you eat the banana, bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see how mental attitudes and strongholds will spring up in individuals? It'll come up in families. It'll come up in churches. It's amazing how hard it is to change because of a reinforced lie that has been put there by Satan. Amen. Satan says you can't quit. God says you can. Satan says you can't get delivered. And God says you can. Whose report are you going to believe? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Where does the lie come from? It certainly didn't come from God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.6, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, no, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. Another invisible fence we should not be afraid to cross is the line of the sand that is drawn by the devil. Remember when you were a kid, some bullies would come and draw a line on the ground and they'd say, if you cross that line, I'll beat you up. But when you cross the line, what do you do? He just drew another line and said, you cross that line, I'll beat you up. You cross that line, he drew another line and said, you cross that line, I'll beat you up. And you kept crossing the lines until finally you realized that this fellow was a big hoax. All he was doing was boasting. He could not beat you up. You could beat him up easy. But he was just trying to test you. That's the attitude we need to take against the enemy of our soul. Judges 1.19, so the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. You notice the irony of the text? God was with them, but they couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Irony, get it? Let me ask you a question. Is God only good for you if you're fighting a small enemy and have a little problem? 
Is there anything too big that God cannot handle? I don't think so. My God is the God of the impossible. I said the impossible. Hallelujah. He not only makes a way where there seems to be no way, he is capable of making a way where there is no way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The reason they could not defeat the enemy that had the chariots of iron was because they saw their enemies in their own perspective. They were looking horizontally instead of looking vertically from the eyes of God. Hallelujah. If we can get on God's side and understand that, yes, we cannot do it, but with the help of Almighty God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. 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 This passage reminds me of Peter walking on water. When he saw the wind and the waves, he feared and he fell. Tell me something. Do you think it's just any easier to walk on water on a clear and a sunny day than on a windy day? <laughs> the weather is irrelevant to walking on water. It doesn't matter if it's a beautiful day out there. Can you walk on water? It may be winds as high, and the waves may be as high as 20 feet. Does it make any difference? Can you walk on water? Does it make any difference? It takes a miracle to walk on water, regardless of the outside circumstances. you got to have God in the equation. The problem with walking on water is the demonic invisible fence that says we can only cross at Satan's designated spots or if you can see the stepping stones in the water. In other words, if we listen to the voice of reason, we'll reason God right out of the equation. Right? We forget what God's Word says. I don't know how many times in the past 50 years that I've preached the Word of God, sometimes not even understanding. I don't understand what I'm even saying, but I know what God's Word says. And so I preach God's Word and I say God's Word, even though I cannot fully understand everything that God says. But I know if God said it, it's the truth, and therefore I have to believe that it can be done. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. We think we can only win the little battles, not the big ones. This is a lie, pure and simple. I'm going to give you a few biblical examples. Pharaoh had an armed army with chariots of iron. What happened to the army and the chariots of iron when God got involved? They were destroyed in the sea. The wheels came off their chariots. God is no different today than he was then. He's the same today. Jericho had a huge wall. What happened to the wall when God's people believed and obeyed the voice of their leader? The wall was smashed flat. It didn't just fall down. It was smashed flat. The wall was smashed. They were doing, what were they doing when the wall fell? They had no power to overcome that wall. All they could do was praise and worship God. Hallelujah. Just praising and worshiping the Lord. And when they opened their eyes, the wall was flat and they ran through and they took of the plunder. Hallelujah. Is God any different today than he was then? Same God, yesterday, today, and forever. Moses had two million people, no water to drink. What happened when Moses heard the voice of God that said, strike the rock? It produced smart water. 
Is God any different today than he was back then? No. The fact that the enemy had iron chariots should have been irrelevant to their problem. It is like the church saying, we can beat the devil. We, we, beat, the de we beat the little devils that only have pea shooters, but we can't beat the ones that have swords. <laughs> But the Bible says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see the keys there? If God is with us, if God is with us, and shall he not with him. It's got to be with God. God has got to be in your mind, in your conscience, in your heart. God has to be in there if you're going to be able to do all these things that God has called you to do. The invisible fences that Satan, who is the master magician, by the way, the things that he uses are nothing more than smoke and mirrors. They're simply schemes of deception. A magician does not produce miracles. He simply uses sleight of hand tricks on the eyes. It's like this. Now you see it, now you don't. You think, oh, he did some kind of magic. No, you just didn't see what he did. That's Satan's MO. Have you ever noticed that magicians hardly ever do a trick twice? You might catch on. And so the trickster, he only does the trick one time. Oh, he'll do the trick again for somebody else somewhere else. Or he might even come back and do the trick for you three or four years from now. But he's got enough tricks up his sleeve to handle everything for you every day. He's always pulling some trick on you, some scheme. Say, oh, this one, he's never pulled before. Man, there is no temptation known to man that is not, man, it's not common to man. No temptation. And so the tricks he's using on you, he's using on everybody else. But they're just a bunch of tricks. Hallelujah. I'll try to explain it another way. Satan is so crafty. He's like a pitcher in baseball. He changes the variety of his pitches to keep the batter, to keep him off balance. You know, if a batter knew that the pitcher was going to throw a ball right down the middle every single time, the pitcher wouldn't have a chance because the batter would knock every one of those out of the park for a home run. But he has what they call a curveball, a fastball, a slider, a knuckleball, and even a bunch of screwballs to mess up the hitter. Likewise, Satan, he varies his schemes to keep us in the popcorn machine. He likes to keep us messed up and confused in our mind thinking we can't hit the ball. But God said, with his power, we can hit the ball. We can be successful. We can be blessed. We can have the things that are causing us problems to be dropped off by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. But he likes to keep us in bondage with fences around us that are not even there. Even this biblical example, the smoke and the mirrors, came in the fact that the Jews were led to believe that the problem was with the iron chariots. When the real problem was, they just flat out didn't believe God would give them the strength to do what he'd already said he would do. They followed God in the things that were easy and convenient.
but in the hard things they chickened out. What is especially sad is that the devil himself knows everything I'm talking about today. He knows. He knows that if you have on the full armor of God, he is way, way, way more powerful than he is. He knows that he is only able to effectively keep people in bondage through the power of a lie. Even the godless, faithless Pharaoh knew something God's people didn't even know about themselves. He said, he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and they are mightier than we. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Let's trick them. Let's do some deception. Let's try to make them think we are stronger than they are. But the truth is, there are more of them and they are more powerful than we are. Hallelujah. You need to firmly fix and settle in your mind. I said this last week, who you are in Christ. And I, like my daughter said, Matthew West, she wrote, he wrote a song, Hello, My Name Is. The lyrics went like this, says, Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we have met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all belief. These are the voices and these are the lies. And I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I've been saved. I've been changed. And I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I'm no longer defined by the wreckage behind. The one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Just take a look at my life. What the love of the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. I am called of the one true king. Hallelujah. You have to know who you are and let the devil know who he is. Let the devil know that you know where your end is and you know where his end is. You know you're going to heaven and he's going to hell and tell him to get with it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at these scriptures. Psalms 27.3 Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Psalms 32.10, my sorrows come, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds like a fence those who trust the Lord. Psalms 34.7, for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds with a fence and defends all who fear him. Psalms 125.2, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. That means now and forever. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God, glory to God. I get excited about my own preaching. Hallelujah. Man, you start reading some of those scriptures, if you don't get excited, I wonder about your wood. Might be wet. I don't know. Hallelujah. You think we can get across those fences? Five of you can. Let's talk about some invisible fences we should not cross. God has placed invisible fences around what is right and wrong, 
and how we are to live and to please Him. Of course, we sing this morning, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. God doesn't beat people into agreeing with Him. It's a voluntary thing. It is, it's voluntary. But He can sure make you miserable if you don't. The truth of the matter is that your sensitivity to the importance of God's fences of behavior and truth and morality are the strongest cure to keep you from hurting yourself. Don't cross God's invisible fence or you are sure to invite trouble into your life. Hallelujah. Psalms 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And then he said, don't be like the horses or like the mule. He's kind. He could have said something else. Which have no understanding. In fact, I think he did over in the King James. This is in the NIV. Which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bride, else they will not come near you. The invisible fence requires that we recognize that just because God didn't put a wall in our way doesn't mean it's okay to go there. The Bible says he will guide us with his eye, with his eye, not with force, not with compulsion, not with uh, not making us, but with his eye. In other words, we are to know him and his ways and his boundaries so well that he will be able to instruct us with nonverbal communication. Just his word alone will be enough to show us where we can go and what we can do and what we cannot do. He doesn't have to hit us over the head with a two by four and to get us to move or to do. We do what we do because thus saith the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Does God have to give you all, let you go through all kinds of troubles and problems to get you to straighten out? Why don't you just let God have his way? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now here's the remarkable thing. God will let you commit adultery. He'll let you watch filthy movies if you want to. Although he will make his objections known to you through the voice of your conscience. God doesn't make you do anything by force. He asks you to, to give him voluntarily submission. To voluntarily submit to him. Therefore, this should be our constant prayer. Lord Jesus, take my will and let it be holy, consecrated to you. Whatever you want. Now, the ungodly, they've given themselves over to sensuality. Just anything that makes them feel good. What, what is it that makes us have fun? Kids today, I'm bored. Oh, we better get them something to do. We better buy them a, a new toy. You know? Because they're given over to sensuality. Everything's got to be fun. Everything's got to feel good. Everything's got to be just right. Oh, you don't like that, honey? Well, we'll try to do something else. Well, honey, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you need to do is pull off this thing right here and say, I'll tell you what you need. <laughs> they will straighten up in a hurry. Janet's not in here, is she? Sometimes we have to do metal that way. <laughs> we don't do it when our parents are there, but when parents aren't there, we have a nice little thing. It looks like a little fly swat. But it's got a Zorro on the end of it. You know, one of those flip-flop things on the end. You know what I'm talking about? You know, if you put it on your foot, you could actually wear it and flop in the back like that. We have one of those. And when we pull that thing out, things straighten up around our house. Hallelujah. Yesterday, I had to give her a couple of pop-ups. Oh, she started crying. But you know what? The rest of the day, she was a perfect little 
I mean, she was wonderful. She came around love on us. I mean, just everything was just right. Hallelujah. Does God have to do that to you? Hallelujah. We tap in love. We don't tap in anger. God taps in love. He disciplines because he loves. But he wants you to do the right thing. Hallelujah. It's just a little invisible fence. A little invisible fence. You can't see it. But it's there to stop you from getting into trouble and hurting yourself. Don't cross those fences. Hallelujah. Listen for the, the inaudible voice of God. Here's the inaudible voice of God. You say, well, I can't hear it. I don't hear it. You, just read it. It's the Word of God. And He's speaking to you out of His Word. i got to get moving. Don't cross the invisible fence of trust. This is a very important one I want to really touch on today because this is one we hardly ever, ever, ever touch on. So I'm going to really touch on this one today, okay? This is an invisible fence that we hardly ever talk about. It's not one, of it, but yet it is one of the most important fences in our life that we must never cross. Because if you cross this fence, it can be deadly to everything in your life, to your everyday life, to your natural life, your spiritual life, anything. Don't cross that, that, cross, that fence of trust. Let's talk about the fence of trust for just a few minutes. The fence of trust in a marriage relationship. When you marry someone, it is, the fence is like a bond or a covenant or a vow. And it is made for life. And that little fence of trust is only as good as you protect it and take care of it. You cross over that fence of trust and you do something that is not, uh, you know, right toward your partner and you can cause all kinds of problems to come into your life for a whole long time. That's not proper English, but it can be for a long time, right? How many know what I'm talking about? It's a little fence of trust. Say, say, well, you know, some woman comes up to you and says, hey, you want to come and go with me tonight? We can have a good time, you know? And, and she, says, she says, I'm not married. And you say to her, well, I am. I am. Hallelujah. Okay, you're not, but I am. And, and it's just a little bond there, but it's, it's a little bond that says, I don't mess around with wild women. Hallelujah. Snakes come out at night. Anyway, let's go on. I got to get all these. The fence of trust in an employer-employee relationship or an arrangement. Whenever you go to work for somebody, there is an understanding. There is a, a mutual cooperation that you have entered into. You said, uh, you know, you pay me a certain amount of money and I'll do work for you. I'll work for you. You give me a certain amount of money and so forth and so on. You have an understanding. And you, in that understanding, there's a trust. The guy hires you and he trusts you that you won't steal everything he's got. He trusts you. And you trust him that when the payday comes that you're going to receive a paycheck. You're going to work 40 hours. And he says, oh, never mind. I just decided not to pay you. No, there's a line of trust there. That's what always gets me about people that, uh, you know, they go in and striking, you know. And if they want to, you know, I don't want to get into all that. But I, it amazes me, uh, just for instance, Kohl's over there uh, where I work. They, Kohl's opened up their business and uh, all these people lined up to get a job. And Kohl's was nice enough to hire a bunch of people. But about the time they got them all hired, the next time I go by there, they're all standing out there with pickets. 
upset at coals that gave him a job. Now, you know, I don't know all the details, you know, so I'm not going to get all that. But I would think that if somebody gave me a job, I'd be thankful. And if you don't like your job, get out of the way and let somebody else get in there and let them go to work. Hallelujah. I always tell people, if you don't like your income, find another job. Don't get mad at your employer because there is a line of trust there. You said you'd work for a certain amount of money. Now work for that amount of money or hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. You know, there ought to be a line of trust there. Am I going too deep here? Let's go on. There's the trust of friendship. It's an unseen, unspoken fence of mutual admiration and a relaxed feeling that must be guarded with trust. I, this just dropped into my mind, but I heard on the news the other night that uh, Kim Kardashian, she had a baby, and so she had two of her friends, and she sent pictures, different pictures to each one of them of her baby, and neither one of them was the right picture, but she wanted to find out which one made it on to the uh, National Enquirer because she knew that whichever one made it to the National Enquirer, that wasn't her friend. Smart. <laughs> but when you have a friendship, you have a requirement to guard that friendship. You don't tell everything your friend tells you. When they tell you something that's confidential, you need to let it die in you. Hallelujah. You don't go around spreading everything your friend said, or that won't be your friend very long. There is a mutual understanding and relationship in a friendship. Amen? Guard your friendships. Now, one more. Let's, there's a trust in a shepherd's sheep and a pastor-saint relationship. This fence must be continually reinforced with the unity of service, a bond of love, and years of loyalty. Hallelujah. I have a responsibility to you. You have a responsibility to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to watch for your soul. I'm going to preach you the word of God and you're going to trust me to tell you what the truth is. And you're going to trust me to live a moral, godly life both financially and all kinds of ways. You're going to expect me to be a man of God. So I expect you to be a child of God. I expect you to act like you're supposed to act wherever you go. Hallelujah. And you are required, according to the covenant partnership that you sign, that you won't gossip and talk about everybody in the church, but you'll do everything in your power to bring this church together in a spirit of unity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you say by your membership covenant that you will support the church with your tithes and your offerings. And you do it because it's the right thing to do. And it is a trust issue. You give and I promise you that I will do what is right before God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you, when people, when they give that offering, every last dollar is put into the bank and is spent on the church and missions and the things of God. Hallelujah. You trust me that I won't slip one out for myself. You know? Hallelujah. I don't know how deep to go in that. But you trust me. Do you understand it? And I trust you. 
and you trust me. And that trust is built up over many years. And, and it just, when somebody comes to me and says, well, pastor, I think the Lord has spoken to me and I think I'm supposed to go down the street to that other church down there. They have broken the line of trust. A broken loyalty. And I tell you what, just like a marriage relationship, just like an employee relationship, just like any other relationship, it takes years to get that trust back. Guard the trust. Guard the trust. When the line of trust has been broken and crossed, it is almost impossible to regain that original trust ingredient that produces a long-lasting relationship. You are highly blessed. Listen, you are highly blessed if you gain just a few complete trusting relationships in your lifetime. Hallelujah. A trusting relationship is a hard thing to get and to hold on to. But if you have one or you have some, I say hold on to them with dear life. Amen. It will, be all, it will be among your most valuable possessions that you will ever have in this life. They will be worth more than silver or gold or anything else you can amass. A friendship and a loyalty, nothing in the world can beat it. Don't cross the fence of trust. Hallelujah. Did I make anybody mad? Is anybody sad? Is anybody happy? Well, we're going to go deeper. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 14. Here's what the Bible says to back up everything I already said. <laughs> Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at it. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy to get along with everybody. It's hard to get along with somebody. But work at it. And then work at living a holy life. Why is that important? Because those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So I think it's pretty important, don't you? Look after each other. Look after each other. Be concerned about each other. Try to help people stay encouraged. Look after each other. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then here's the one that really is so powerful. He said, watch out. Watch out. You know, the Bible says watch and pray. Well, you can pray all you want to, but watch this one. Watch. Watch. Watch out. Make sure that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Because if that root of bitterness grows up to trouble you... It'll corrupt many. Hallelujah. I, I need a whole another half hour on this one, but you know, how many's ever experienced the possibility, I'll say it like that, of a root of bitterness? How many's ever experienced the possibility? Now, if you don't raise your hand, your your father's the devil, you know what I mean? You're lying. Because, you know, through life you are given every possible chance to start a root of bitterness. It's just the way life is. Life will try to plant something in you that, is, that will grow up to actually, if you allow it to, it will choke the very life out of you. Amen. Now, I've told people for years, I've told, don't get a root of bitterness. How do you keep forgetting a root of bitterness? Well, when you feel that, that, um, 
spirit of offense come up on the inside of you because of something somebody said. Or it could be somebody clear across the room talking over there and a little spirit of, of bitterness comes up in you and says, they're talking about you over there. They may be talking about the weather. But the devil, he likes to get that little root of bitterness going on the inside of you and say, they're talking about you. Did you hear what they said? Did you see the way they smiled or frowned? Or uh, Did you see, did you see, did you see? He's always trying to get this root of bitterness going on the inside of you. I don't like the way they're doing that in the church. I don't like, uh, I don't like the songs that the worship leader sings. I don't like the way that drummer hits that drum. Hallelujah. It's too loud. Well, that's what somebody said, so we built a cage. And then we turned the speakers up real loud. But anyway, uh, we just wanted to see where you were with God. Those people are not here anymore. They're gone. The root of bitterness got a hold of them, and it grew up. And I'm going to tell you what happens with the root of bitterness. It produces vines. And vines grow up, and they wrap around you, and they choke the living daylights out of you. And before you know it, you are gone. You are lost. You are so dead, you don't know what a life is. And you don't know what in the world happened. And what happened was, is a long time ago, could have been a year ago, could have been two years ago, you let that thing start growing and start festering. And somewhere you didn't get out your hoe and your sword and cut that thing off and say, no, I know what the Word says. I know who I am by the Word of God. I know who Jesus is. I know He saved my soul, and I will not let that root of bitterness grow up in my heart. I could give you example after example in the Word of God where people let a root of bitterness get in their heart, and they wound up hanging from their own gallows, hanging in the trees by the hair on their head, that pride swinging in the head, caught their hair caught, and you know, I, I can go on and on and on about all the people in the Bible that let a root of bitterness come up in them and rebellion and, and lawlessness and wickedness and, and all that stuff get up in them. And before you know it, it choked the living daylights out of them. Hallelujah. A lot of times people in the church, you know, they quit tithing. Believe it or not, they quit tithing. And when they quit tithing, you know, so I said, well, aren't you going to go tell them that they're not tithing? Hey, that's not up to me. That's between them and God. Because if they continued that way that they're going, that little root of bitterness that got down in them that said, I'm not going to tithe anymore. I'm going to hold back on some of the tithe. That little root of bitterness that got down on the inside of you, if you continue to allow that thing grow over a course of time, it will wrap itself around you and it will choke the living spirit of God out of your life. And so I don't have to tell you because the Word of God tells you and if you don't do something about it in time, you'll have just enough rope to hang yourself. Huh. You want me to go deeper? <laughs> Is that enough? I don't know. Hebrews 12, 16. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. Don't be immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. What are you selling your birthright for? You know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, too late for repentance. Even though he begged with bitter, 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 bitter root, root of bitterness, he begged with bitter tears. Where'd those bitter tears come from? 
from a root of bitterness. Oh, Lord. i got to get on something a lot more exciting here before we leave because you're going to leave and say, oh, no, come on. Let's, uh, let's move on. i got five minutes left. Hey, let's go to Psalms 91, 1, 2, uh, slide 24. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High <laughs> will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. That better? <laughs> there is your shelter. He's your shadow. He's your refuge. He's your fortress. And He's your trust. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with a fence with songs of deliverance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want God to build a fence all around me, don't you? I want it to protect me, take care of me, and keep me from the evil one. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I love the story as they come back. I love the story of Elisha and his servant when they were surrounded by the enemy. And his servant looked up to his, his master, Elisha, and said, what are we going to do? He said, they've got us surrounded. The man of God, who did not fear, simply looked up to heaven and said, God, would you open his eyes so he can see? And God will guide you with his eye. Hallelujah. And he opened the eyes, and the servants saw the armies and the chariots of the Lord, fiery chariots, the Bible said, of the Lord, surrounding the enemy. And the enemy didn't know it. They thought they had the one, the two guys, the master and his servant, they thought they had them, but they didn't know that they were had because all the way around them was the chariots of the Lord. And the man of God, he just looked up to heaven and said, pray thee, Lord, smite this people with blindness. And immediately they all turned blind and they walked out free men. Who has all the power? God has the power. Those men were no different than you and I. All we have to do is believe that God has a fence built all the way around us, and we're going to let that fence be our safety zone and hold us in. Let's all stand. Thank you for putting up with all this.